Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Qalam Podcast. Isra wal Miraj. Join us as we revisit the miraculous night journey and the impact it had on the Prophet's life and what lessons we can apply to our own. To support community events just like this one, please visit qalamfamily.com. Jazakallah khair for listening. We are going to start with Sheikh Mikail and the backdrop to the Isra al-Mi'raj, the miraculous night journey, by talking about the 10th year after the Prophet ﷺ became the Prophet, and talking about what led, what the events that led to the Isra al-Mi'raj. So pay attention closely, inshallah, a very exciting program for us. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbak wa hubba amalin yuqarribuna ila hubbik ya arhamur rahimin. Thank everyone for joining us um, as we talk about this moment, this, this portion of the Prophet Sallallahu life. Uh, that was a, quite literally a roller coaster. There were amazing lows and there were amazing highs. Um, and I'm going to begin by speaking about the backdrop to the Isra and Mi'raj, the night journey of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Prior to the Isra and Mi'raj, in the, as uh, Hafiz Shahir was just mentioning, in the 10th year of prophethood, um, the, the, the Quraysh had put the Muslims through this uh, strenuous boycott. I mean, they cut them off completely. All resources, everything were blocked off from the Banu Hashim, the family of the Prophet And what we have to understand was that this was very difficult. This was very difficult and it was unprecedented as well. It was extremely hard on the, on the Bani Hashim. The Prophet Sallallahu his entire family, basically economically, socially, every aspect, they're cut off from the rest of society. And the ultimatum is simple. The ultimatum is you either turn the Prophet Sallallahu over or you're die, you'll die hungry like this. You'll die in this state with nothing. And the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Muslim and non-Muslim, they stood by him. They didn't give up on him. Because that was the culture. That was the, the way of the streets of, of, of Mecca. That's how it was. You didn't hand somebody over. That was your family member. Uh, Ibn Ishaq, he says that finally, there was a miraculous moment in which the Prophet ﷺ, he comes to Abu Talib and he says, Allah has informed me that the scroll or the constitution which has this agreement has been consumed by termites. It's gone. And Abu Talib goes, are you sure? He goes, I'm sure. And Abu Talib at this moment, subhanAllah, Abu Talib goes, my son has never lied to me. I've never known my son to lie. And that's the relationship that they had. Ever since a young boy, he brought the Prophet in. He says, my son has never lied to me. So he goes to the Quraysh and I don't want to spend too much time. It's an amazing story. But at the end of the story, the boycott is lifted. The Banu Hashim, the family of the Prophet ﷺ, are now able to interact with the rest of Mecca. They're able to marry amongst them, eat amongst them, buy and sell amongst them, and everything is good. But everything isn't that good. The years of the boycott have been hard on us, y'all. The children were starving, families were going through difficulty. The only way food got into our neighborhood, we ain't have no Whole Foods down there. The only way food got in there was if people snuck that food into 
Benu Hashem. And by the time it was over, it played its toll emotionally, psychologically, and physically on our lives. In a short time after the boycott was over, a group of the Quraysh, they come to speak to Abu Talib. And I'm going to read this incident to you. Ibn Ishaq, he says, as Abu Talib began to get really sick, and the Quraysh heard that Abu Talib was very sick, they sent a group of people, 25. Amongst them was Utbah, Shayba, Abu Jahal, Umayyah bin Khalaf, Abu Sufyan, all the big honchos, the big, the big heads of leading the kuffar at that time. They all go, and they go to meet Abu Talib, because he's, he's getting weaker now. And once and for all, we need this man to step up and stop his nephew Muhammad, who's like his son almost, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the narration says that they entered, فَأَذِنَ لَهُمْ He said, come on in. He was cordial. He welcomed them. فَلَمَّا دَخَلُوا عَلَيْهِ قَالُوا When they came in, they said, يَا أَبَا طَالِبْ أَنْتَ كَبِيرُنَا وَسَيِّدُنَا You are our leader. You are the, the elder amongst us. Do justice to us regarding Ibn Akhika, your nephew. Handle him. Tell him he has to stop this cursing our idols. This has to end. What happens? Abu Talib, he says, okay, why don't you call him here? I can't do anything. Abu Talib had the Prophet brought. This is just coming out of the boycott. Things have been so difficult. Abu Talib is reaching old age now. And I want you to picture it. Listen, when you study the seerah, do not study the seerah knowing the end in mind. Don't study the seerah knowing, yo, chill out, Fatimah is coming in 20 minutes. No. Put yourself in the moment that you're studying, not knowing what's going to happen in the next year. So you can feel the full emotion of that situation. So here the Prophet walks into the home. And as he walks into the home, he sees 25 city councilmen. Put it any other way. 25 city councilmen gathered around his elderly uncle because of him. Because of him. Because of him. He comes in. Whole group of people in front of Abu Talib. So Abu Jahl sees him walk in. Abu Jahl's a, a savvy guy. So, so he didn't want the Prophet to sit next to Abu Talib because then proximity, you know, you can nudge somebody. Come on, Unk. So he, he sat between. Abu, uh, Abu Jahl jumps up and sits right next to Abu Talib, the closest spot. So what? So that the Prophet them isn't closer. What happens? Now they start to speak. The Prophet them did not have anywhere close to sit. Abu Talib speaks. Ya bin Akhi, hey nephew. These are the city councilmen gathered here. And they're saying that uh, you got to stop, you know. You're, you're cursing the idols. You're, 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 you're uh, calling out their bad ways of life. You got to stop. This is what they're saying. Faqala Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Moment. 
Huge moment in the Prophet's life. Ara'aytum. He says, if, if, if I chill out, will you do something for me? Will you just give me one word? Just give me one word. Abu Jahl looks up and says, one word? I'll give you 10 words, just stop. I'll give you 10. The Prophet says that one word is la ilaha illallah. He says, nah, never, man. Never. And this is that well-known moment where he says to his uncle, I can't stop. I see the struggle you're going through. I see the struggle. I want you to imagine the psychological like trauma of watching your own clan go through a boycott because this message that you have. Could you watch your own children suffer because of a decision you made? That would, that would hurt so much. So here the prophet is in front of his elderly uncle, he's, who's like a father to him. And in that moment, he says these, these words that go down in the, the books of history. The prophet, وسلم, he says, oh, uncle, if you were to bring the sun and place it in my hand and the moon and place it in my other hand and ask me to stop, meaning if you gave me the world, I can't do it. Allah's telling I have to do this. Abu Talib looks up. He was just doing formalities, just so you know. He goes, you haven't asked for too much. You haven't asked for too much. And he looks at the notables. He looks at the city council and he says, all he wants is one word from you. And they got up upset. Nope, we're never given those words. Gathering is over, city council, meeting adjourned. The Prophet Sallallahu uncle stood by his side yet again. Always had his back. What happens next? A few days pass. A few days. At this point, Abu Talib is about 80 years old. And it seems that he's getting very close to death. The Prophet Sallallahu comes to his house. When he walks into the house, he's laying down. And you could tell, it seems he's about to make that transition, guys. Have you ever sat next to a person making that transition? The room feels different. The angels and the things around that room, the, the aura in the room is different. The Prophet ﷺ walks in the room and lo and behold, who's sitting right there? Abu Jahl and Abdullah bin Umayyah sitting right there. The Prophet ﷺ walks in. He says, please leave. Let me talk to my uncle by myself. Let me talk to my uncle. I don't have time for your games, Abu Jahl. I don't have time. Let me talk to my uncle by himself. Abu Jahl goes, I ain't leaving. It's my uncle too. He's my relative too. You don't have more right on him than I do. When he does, but he wants to play that card. He says, even if you're close to him, I'm close to him too. I'm not leaving. So I don't have time. The prophet doesn't have time to get into these small things with Abu Jahl. So he turns his attention to his uncle, who he's been working on for 10 years or more. Just say, la ilaha illallah. And if you have Muslim family members, I don't care how pious or how chill or how whatever they are. If they say, la ilaha illallah, you are blessed. You are blessed. The Prophet Sallallahu he then looks at his uncle and he says, Ya Ammi, O oh uncle, 
juzita khair. May Allah reward you with good. Kalaftani saghira. You carried me when I was little. Wahavantani kabira. And you brought me in when I was bigger. You supported me. Fajuzita anni khaira. Ya amma. He goes, Oh, uncle, may Allah reward you greatly. And then he says these words. A'inni ala nafsik bi kalimatin wahid. Please, please, can you just say one phrase for me? Can you just say one statement for me so that I can intercede for you on the day of judgment? Help me with one thing. Say la ilaha illallah. Abu Talib with Abu Jahl sitting in the room. Abdullah bin Umayyah sitting in the room. The Prophet sitting close to him. See the room. See the moment. Feel what's happening. In that moment, Abu Talib replies, Ibn Akhi, hey nephew, Wallahi lawla makhafat as-sub, if it wasn't for the fact that I'm worried that people are going to talk about us later, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? What are they going to say? What are people going to say? If it wasn't for the fact I'm worried, listen, brothers and sisters, the thing that influences us the most is social influence. On his deathbed, he's leaving the world. He will literally not see these people in the matter of moments, but he can't stop thinking about what people are going to say. The way you live is the way you die. If you live your life only thinking about what people are going to say, if you live your life letting their thoughts about you determine your actions, maybe you'll die in that same state. So he says, I can't. I know what you're saying is true, but I can't say it. And right when it seemed as if maybe he would say it, Abu, Abu Jahl leans over and he goes, are you going to leave the old way of our forefathers? And Abu Talib lays back and he continues to say, on the way of our forefathers, on the way of our forefathers until his soul is taken out. The Prophet وسلم, is, is, is hurt. The verses are revealed. Muhammad, you can't guide وسلم, who you love. It's not in your control. You can't. No matter how much you love someone, guidance is from Allah. The Prophet is broken. The Prophet وسلم, is Struggling with dealing with this father-like figure that has now left his life. Brought him in. Protected him. Despite not believing in him. Protected him and said, do what you got to do. I got your back. And all of a sudden, he's gone now. And a few days later. Some say three days later. Some say about 15 to 10. The Prophet ﷺ is hit again. Hit again. Sometimes in life, y'all, it seems like the hardships are just like lined up. It seems like they're just lined up. And that's why we study the seerah. Because no matter who you are, no matter what you've gone through, you will find inspiration in the life of Muhammad ﷺ. You are elevated by reading about his elevation. Wallah. In this moment, the Prophet ﷺ has lost his father-like figure. The only one that got his back. In a few days later, because of the hardship of the boycott, 
Khadija radiyallahu ta'ala anha. Who was Khadija? Who was Khadija? What can we say about Khadija? All you need to know is one thing. When the revelation began, and this angel came to him the first time, and he was quivering and shaking out of fear, he ran to her. He ran to her in fear, and she held him. She embraced him. She calmed him down the way a mother calms a scared child in the middle of the night. The Prophet ﷺ ran to her because here's the deal. A lot of us, we want to be strong men and think we can handle everything by ourselves. Well, the strongest man I know, he ran to his wife in a time of difficulty. He ran to her. He said, cover me, hold me. And she wrapped him and she held him. And he said, I'm going crazy. I'm going crazy. Something's wrong with me. And with force and confidence, she spoke to his heart and she said, no. No. You know, man, I used to play little league football. A few times I would feel I was small. You know, my son, he struggles with this too. He's like, dad, we so small. I'm like, yo, don't worry, man. You, you, got your, you got agility, though. You know what I mean? We're quick. And, and how many times my mother would just grab me when I, when I lost hope that how am I going to play against all these big guys? She would grab me and say, no, you got this. In that moment, in that moment, the Prophet Sallallahu felt that his world was going crazy. He runs to his wife. He runs to Khadija, radiallahu an, the one he says, she believed in me when everyone denied. And in fact, I would go further. She believed in him before he believed in himself. That's who she was. Before he knew who he was, she knew who he was. Some say that's why she married him too. She said, I already know who you're going to be. So he ran to her. She supported him and she said, no, Allah will never, ever disgrace you. Because you know why? And she listed all of these beautiful qualities that she had seen in this great man. She listed all of these beautiful qualities. And here five, six, seven days after his father-like figure leaves the world without faith. It's one thing to lose one. It's something else to lose someone and know in your heart that they don't believe in Allah. You have no idea. You don't know what it feels like not to be able to pray for someone that you love who just died. Can you imagine knowing your, 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 your grandmother, your nani, your daddy, your whoever passed away and you can't make dua for them? You go to the imam, you say, imam, you know, can I make dua? And the imam keeps it real. He's like, no, if they died as a disbeliever, you can't. When Abu Talib dies, the Prophet ﷺ, he says, wallahi, I'm going to make dua for him. Until the verse comes down. And the verse comes down, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the verse down. You are not allowed to do this. He's torn up. What can I do? Allah says, This man is broken. The Prophet lost Abu Talib. A few days later, he lost his beloved wife, his support for everything. Listen to this, guys. In life, you have external enemies and internal enemies. 
You got haters outside that will hate you and knock you down and stop you from becoming the best you you can be. And you got internal shayateen and internal thoughts that are trying to tell you you're not who you are. You're not what you can reach to be. The external support was Abu Talib. The internal support was Khadija. They're both gone now. They're both gone now. Where's he going to run to now? Human beings are unique. We don't run to shelter in fear. We, we, we run to people. That's our nature. Last night, the other night, the storm was going crazy. Little dude ran down the stairs, jumped in our bed. I'm halfway off the bed now. He didn't run in his closet. He ran to people. When the Prophet was scared, he ran to a person, his beloved wife. In the times of difficulty, he ran to Abu Talib. We need people. And at this moment in his life, 10th year of this message, the Prophet has just lost his external protection and his internal place of solitude and, 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 and reassurance. What happened as a result? Was he, oh, I'm good. I don't need to worry about it. I could get through this. No, quite the contrary. The woman he had been married to for over 25 years has just passed away. The narration by Ibn Sa'd says, The Prophet was deeply troubled and pained by the loss of Aisha, uh, Khadija. Deeply troubled, deeply troubled. He stayed home. He didn't even go out. He was torn up. He didn't even go out. It was narrated. They say that that he was so that he was so hurt that the Sahaba started to get worried about him. And what we learned from this is what he taught us. Pain is okay. Pain and sadness doesn't go against Sadness ain't a sin, yo. Sadness ain't a sin. The Prophet ﷺ was hurt. It was difficult. And now, at, at this time, when he loses all of this support, when he loses all of this, where are we going to go? What's going to happen next? Do you know what the next thing happens in the seerah is? He goes to Ta'if, y'all. Do you know what Ta'if represents? Ta'if represents the hardest day in his life. Why is it the hardest day? Because he fled Mecca because he does not have any more support. He does not have any more support. So he goes, maybe the neighboring city will be, be, be nicer to me than these people here. He flees the Ta'if. And what does Ta'if become? Ta'if becomes a moment where him and his son, Zaid bin Muhammad. Yeah, that's what I call him. Zaid bin Muhammad. Because that's what they knew him by at that time. Him and Zayd bin Muhammad go to Ta'if. And how are they kicked out of the city? Their stones are being thrown at them as they arrange two rows to escort them out of the city, throwing stones at the ankles of the Prophet ﷺ. And he would fall down, grabbing his ankles, and then they would pick him back up. This was the darkest time in his life. This is our Prophet ﷺ. When I read these moments... I hug my loved ones. When I read these moments, I remember that the Prophet ﷺ has been through the most, any difficulty I've been through, 
If you've lost a child, which I can't even fathom, the Prophet has gone through it. If you've lost a loved one without them believing in Allah, which I know the pain of, the Prophet has been through that too. And if you lost a spouse, can't even imagine. Your Prophet has been through that too. This was called by later on scholars, they call this the year of sorrow. Amul Huzan. And, and, and hopefully by studying this and talking about this, we're able to realize that he's an example for us. Hardships are not a sign of Allah's hatred. Quite the contrary. In fact, right before, right before the openings, the difficulties may show up. So we just covered the year of sorrow of the Prophet Sallallahu where he lost his uncle without faith. And he lost his beloved wife. Many years later, when uh, the husband of his daughter Zainab, her husband Abu al-As was captive after Badr. Zainab, the Prophet's daughter, was married to a non-Muslim. And she was back in Mecca because that's where her husband was. But he was a good man to the Prophet Sallallahu but societal, socially, he was on the other side of the ranks. Well, he got captured. He got captured. And it was time to send money to ransom. So Zainab goes in her closet and she looks for something valuable and she grabs a necklace and she sends it to Medina. She sends this necklace to Medina to get her husband and ransom her husband. And the messenger comes with this message, this, this ransom. Here's the ransom. The Prophet opens it up, and what does he see? He sees a necklace of Khadija that Khadija had given her daughter, Zainab. And the Prophet sees this, and just imagine this moment. Think of it yourself. You're there, and you open, and you see something that reminds you of some loved one. Your mother, your grandmother, your, your brother, your sister, someone you love. He opens, and he sees it, and his heart breaks. He's torn to pieces. This was my Khadijah's. This was my Khadijah's. Aisha says, I never got jealous over anybody the way I got jealous over her. Nobody. And one time she would say, why are you always talking about that old lady? Somebody, Allah gave you better. The prophet said, Allah did not give me better. She was there for me when nobody was there for me. She supported me when nobody supported me. When I was poor, when I was broke, Allah says, we enriched you. The Mufassirin says, we married you to Khadija. This is the year of sorrow. This is the year of sorrow. The Prophet ﷺ did not respond with stoicism that uh, I can't be hurt because I'm so connected to Allah. He was broken. It hurt. It hurt. And that allows us, it allows us to realize that sadness isn't a sin, but expect openings from Allah right after the sadness. Brothers and sisters, we have a beautiful night for you tonight. Just enjoy the listening and enjoy being in the mention of the Prophet. These gatherings are blessed, y'all. These gatherings clean your heart. 
bring your hearts present to these moments and enjoy the company of people just saying, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Jazakumullah khair.